The boys are back for Parked in Turn 1. What's up, Podcast Land? I'm Jason, a.k.a. Captain Novice, with my man, Bo. Bo, what's going on tonight? Hey, man, not too much. Uh, ready to jump into this one. We made it through another week, and uh, we're getting ready to start our Friday and our weekend. How are you doing? That's right. I'm good, man. I'm I'm uh, looking forward to the weekend myself. You know, um, I really, this is a busy time of work year for work uh, outside of the podcast, which I know everybody thinks we do full-time, but that's not true. Um, it's a busy time, so uh, I gave you my old man story today, I don't, or maybe I didn't. Did I? I did, yeah. I told you. Uh, this morning I went over to check on my trailer and make sure everything was good, and I needed to run the uh, generator, mm-hmm. and the battery is just stone-cold dead, like it, the yeah. battery that came with it, and I knew that was happening it was never great. Um, even when I charge it forever, it still wouldn't hold a charge very long. And so I knew I was going to have to replace that, but I, I needed to start the generator. So I had to plug it into my truck and started it right up. But then I needed to let the generator run for a while. So I just ran through all the systems check, you know, check the fridge, check the. Not by systems check. You meant you propped your feet up on the bed and you you. No, no, no. It. I mean, I went, I went, I went in there and I checked the fridge. I turned the heat on. It worked. I ran the propane. It all worked. I turned on the air. It worked. Everything was good. But I needed to let the uh, generator run for you know thirty minutes or forty minutes or so. I thought. So you so made sure I, the mattress to work then too. Right. So I went down and sat on the the mattress in the bedroom, and you know was looking at my phone. And the next thing I know, I woke up. It was two hours later, <laughs> and uh, I make no apologies to anyone. I do what I want. You know, I was tired. Leave me alone. So, yeah, but uh, the trailer's in good shape and ready for race season or track season, so let's do it. Yeah, but, I, you know, so tonight we wanted to talk about another American racing legend, Uh in the name of a guy named Eddie Lawson, you know, it, Eddie Lawson, as I, I mentioned last week, um, is a guy that most diehards, we all know Eddie Lawson and know the name and know the greatness, but I don't think he is the, as well known. And I don't know why that is, but I don't think he's as well known outside. And that's probably because after his racing career, Eddie Lawson has been kind of quiet, right? Keeps to himself down there living in Arizona and, and that sort of thing. And, you know, I, I, I think, that's probably why people don't know, but this guy was a seriously talented rider. Um, you know, he he was born in Upland, California, and guess where he started riding the motorcycle, Bo? Surprise, where was surprise. Start- <laughs> I want to say there, it had to do something to do with dirt. Oh, uh, that is yeah. a good guess. That's a good guess. Yeah. Uh, as we have talked about with every racer from the U.S. so far, they started on the dirt. Um and you know in 79 uh i think he started started riding he started riding the dirt track well he started age seven but but in when he was 16 but he he started riding then but he stopped riding on the dirt track because it was increasingly hard it said to uh to compete with the harley davidson motorcycles believe it or not on the dirt track and we know harley is still in the dirt track scene um but he just decided he would switch over to road racing when he was 16. So he had been on two wheels for about nine years. And, um, 
you know, I, I read an article where he was talking about when he got started. He said he wrote it the first time when he was seven, and then he just loved it and wanted to do it every day. Yeah, yeah. Ride, 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 ride. And still ride. does and, it. You know, even at 63, yeah. he'll go out, you know, and just kind of do a track yeah. day and have fun. Yep, absolutely. He likes to do trail rides on his 250, mm-hmm. um, and he's got a riding partner that lives real close to him. You may have heard of him. His name is Kenny, Ro- Kenny yeah, Roberts. Yeah, I've heard that um, once or twice. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. But uh, anyway, so, you know, he gets at 16 in 1979. He... He gets into road racing and he's riding in the 250cc class and he finishes second to Freddie Spencer in the AMA 250cc class. Um, after that year, or after um, in 1980 and 81, mm-hmm. he won the 250cc class with Kawasaki. Right. Um, in 81 uh, and 82, he also won. Uh, the, the Superbike Series. I'm sorry, he wasn't in the 250 Series 81, 82. He was in the Superbike Series, and he won uh, the championship uh, in 1981 for AMA as well as 250. Right, yeah. So, he won the I mean, this guy's Superbike right, yeah. and the, you know, so he yeah. kind of did so the, this, the similar Freddie Spencer. Duty, right. you know, just yeah, just not at so the world he, level. In 80, he won the 250cc. In 81, he won both the 250 and the Superbike, and in 82, he won Superbike. Well, um, that of course, in those days, propelled you into the GP class almost automatically, right? Because and, Americans and it, were such, held in such high regard, right? And not not just the move over to the intermediate class. He went straight to 500 cc, you know. So yeah, that with no, Yamaha yeah, he, too, and he kind of, um, you, you know, he was with Kawasaki for a while, for a long time, was real successful, and then he moved straight over to Yamaha. And he was Kenny Roberts' teammate, so you know yep. there was so they, instant competition yep. there. That you know you got to beat the fellow American, you got to you got to fight for it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I, if I'm not mistaken, I believe '83 was Kenny Roberts' senior last year. His last year. Yes, you're I, right. I, I, I'm. Yep. You're correct. And um, so he was teammates for Roberts for Roberts' last year. In '84, though, he started to win, and he won the world title in his second year over there. Yeah, and he was um, fourth in his first year. Yeah, so it wasn't yeah. you know, it wasn't a, a year to, to completely toss away. And there were only twelve rounds that year too, much in you know yeah. in eighty four and eighty five as well. When you start to think about what these Americans did as soon as they got on the bike over there, it's pretty astounding. Riding tracks they'd never been on and finishing in the top five in the championship. Yeah, I mean that just shows you how talented these gentlemen were compared to the rest of the world. And and then you know in Eddie Lawson's case in eighty four. You know he wins the he wins the championship, and he won four races out of the twelve. And there was only one race that he was not on the podium of those twelve. Uh, there was actually two. Uh, that back then they called it uh, Yugoslavia, mm-hmm. uh, and then Belgium. Oh, I'm, and I apologize. There was two, another one. Uh, well, there was actually and we were wrong. I, I just saw it. I just looked it up. It was three. Uh, and I don't know what SMR stands for, but the Yugoslavia, Belgium, and SMR, he finished fourth in all three of those races. So he won four, but he was on the podium. Which is a terrible finish, four. we all have right. to admit. That's uh, to... Right. Yeah, he won four, and then he was, for every time he didn't win, you know, he was he was half the time he was on the podium. So not a bad year for a second-year rider, let's be honest. Like, not a bad year, but... The amazing thing about that, and and you know it's fun kind of to go back and look at the history in the years and see the tracks that they were riding. Of course, there's some we recognize, right? Like, we, we definitely see some of that. Yeah. But but in terms of uh, 
the the writing itself, you know, I I don't know what SMR is. Do you have a clue? Uh, no, not off the top of my head, but uh, I might have to fire up the. Uh... Actually, that is the San Marino Green, uh, Grand Prix. So that is Mazzano. So that's Mazzano. Yeah. That's Mazzano. Yeah, that okay. Mizano. So good call. Good call. They couldn't just put MIS there. I would have gotten that. But, um, you know, so so he goes over there. He wins it in 84. Now, in 85, he did not win the championship, but he still wasn't terrible. He finished third in the—I mean, he finished second in the championship. He had three wins, um, and in the Netherlands, he didn't finish that race. So— uh, that's only the second race in three years that he had not finished, which is pretty good. I, I, that's pretty astounding. Yeah. Um, going across racing at the highest level, and in three years you didn't you you crashed out of two races. That's pretty. <laughs> I, yeah. I don't know of a racer immediately that I can think of in the modern era that has ever done that. Well, I mean that's how he got his name, Steady Yeti. You know, he he, he kept the bike on the track. Wow. Wow, pulling out the pulling out the, what do you is he your neighbor? Are you guys best friends? I we mean, chatted before. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna. <laughs> um, but yeah, so so his consistency was very key, um, and we know, and we have said it many times because we talked about it the year Juan Mir won the championship. Mm-hmm. Consistency wins championships, and he was the he was the model citizen of that, right? Like that's when you looked up consistency. Eddie Lawson was the name you saw. And, uh, you know, that's that's just kind of how he rode. But he then went back in 86, and he won again with um, with Yamaha again for the second time. And now, you know what I found? 86 was well, a year that I that is equally as impressive, if not more impressive than, than his uh, second yeah. season in GP because there was only a single, a single uh, uh, race that he didn't finish that year. And of all the races that he did finish, he was not off the podium. It, that is, it's that's pretty astounding. Winning seven out of eleven races, and, and you know, and to just to to kind of take it a step further and illustrate and put some color, I think, to the situation is remember these are not um, easy bikes to ride. Uh, I think Eddie Lawson even mentioned you know they they were just big and heavy, and it was like riding a boat. Yeah. But that's just what they had. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? They didn't so know any different. Like, if they got on the bike now, the, they'd be like, are you kidding me? The tires were hard, you know, and it, it yeah. was heavy. You couldn't get the – he said that, but that's what we had. So we went out and we had fun. Um, and that's, that's right. Uh, that was the overtone that I really got the entire time reading some of these interviews about him was that he genuinely loved riding and just had a blast every time, uh, you know, when he was on the bike. That's the truth. I, I took the same sentiment away. Like – his love for two wheels has not diminished. Now his love for competition has definitely diminished, but his love for being on the two wheels, it doesn't matter whether it's on the street, on the dirt, a scooter. He just loves two wheels. And he, he said it's kind of been that way ever since he got on it for the first time. Yeah. Um, you know, in 86, he wins seven, he wins the title. And like you said, he only didn't finish one race and every other race he's on the podium. In 87, he finishes third in the championship. Now, that was probably, and I'm looking at it, you know, he he didn't finish three races that year. So, by his standard, a terrible year. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But he still managed to finish third in the championship because when he finished, he was on the podium. So, another 
just it's just incredible. So when you start looking at the numbers and breaking it down a little bit, I mean, he was dominant. He was a dominant champion. Um, he, and then in 88, his last year with the Augustini Yamaha Marlboro Augustini Yamaha team, he won the championship again. Um, that year, he also won seven races. Um, he did finish every race, although he finished off the podium three times. He even finished 10th once. <laughs> Must have run off track. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, Had to come in for a tire change or top off yeah, or something. What you know? <laughs> a loser. Yeah. Um, I, <laughs> and then he makes a switch, right? You know, so after right. 88 year, yeah. he, he's, you know, he had an, had a, had an opportunity to go work with, uh, with the Kane Moto, uh, Honda team and he took off, which I think was the same team that, um, Wayne Gardner won the championship on in 87, correct? That is he was correct. on a Honda. So then, you know, so he yep. moved over into 89, but more of the same, it was a, another phenomenal year in 1989 where he finished, you know, uh, he was first, he, he won the championship and, um, it looks like he, there were two races, one race he didn't, he didn't start. And then another race he finished fifth, but the rest were podiums or wins. Yep. So we're and, talking about just a, just, just steady domination um, in the in, on in these races, and I think just it needs as a rider, to be mentioned. Yeah, I think it needs to be mentioned that they told him that he shouldn't leave the Yamaha team. He was going to struggle. Yeah, and, yeah, you know. But he always mm -hmm. had wanted to work with the crew chief over there. If I'm it, not yeah. mistaken, yeah, I think it was uh, uh, Eva Kanemoto, yeah, Irv yeah. Kanemoto, or something like that. But he always wanted to work with him. Um, it, but you know, he also got to work with the great. Um, I forget his first name, but his last name was Muzzy for Kawasaki uh, in the U.S. Do you remember the Muzzy Kawasaki race team? Yes. So yep. yeah. So I, I forget Muzzy's first name, but he was supposedly a magician with a motor and a motorcycle. Like he could make it go. Like it's just like he was the guy. And for years and years, he was the Kawasaki guy. Um, and, uh, but anyway, so Kanemoto was kind of that way too. He kind of had that kind of aura about him and he wanted to work with him and he went over there and just went ahead and won the championship in the first year. Um, so I don't know, you know, exactly what made him go over there for one year and then kind of leave and go back to, to Yamaha. Maybe it was money. Um, but he did, and he just didn't, after that last championship in 89, it was a struggle. Um, he was, he didn't finish in Japan. He got hurt. He was injured all the way through. And then when he came back, he was still pretty good. I mean, he, he had three, four, five, six podiums out of eight races, but you know, he missed too much of the season. Uh, and then after that year, he went to Kagiva. Now, there's a name we haven't heard in the right. MotoGP paddock <laughs> for a long time. Um, he he did win a race on a Kagiva. I don't know how. He was the first. He was the first win for them, correct? I think I, it was if, the fir I, first win that they yeah, had gotten. That's why. I said, yeah, I don't know how. That's what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that bike was pretty bad in comparison, but he did. He he won a race for them on that bike, and I think if we look at just his. MotoGP career. He started 127 races. He had 31 wins, which is the most all-time by an American. 
Um, 78 podiums, 18 poles, and 21 fastest laps. So what this tells me is, is he is a Sunday man, or was, was a Sunday man. He wasn't always on pole. He wasn't on pole very often, actually. But it didn't matter, because when it came down to racing, he was the guy. Um, You know, I... When you read about these guys and how dominant they were, and I've said it every time, it just, I mean, there was like five Americans over there that were the best five riders. It's crazy because it's kind of like that. If you take Bagnaya out of the equation and Fabio Quartararo, it's kind of Spain is that way now. Right, right. Um you know, but it's but it's definitely all European now because we don't even have anybody over there. But there at the time, this was basically the American Championship abroad. Can you imagine if this these guys had all been in AMA at the same time? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of scary to 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 think about just how competitive the racing would would you know would have been and and how fierce everything would have could have become. Um, but impressive nonetheless, though. You know, yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, I, I think, you know, one of the great things was um, they were talking about the 89 championship, maybe. I'm trying to I'm trying to remember which one it was, but he, he, uh, so Rob Muzzy was the guy's name. I apologize for not knowing that for, but so Freddie was, uh, Freddie and, you know, Eddie Lawson had a pretty good rivalry. I don't think it was ever super contentious but they didn't like each other like yeah, none of those guys like liked each the, other well you know from what i kind of caught i don't know if freddie spencer liked a whole lot of anyone um you know it just kind of seemed like he was a little quirky in the paddock he had a very meticulous way about him so i'm not sure if he you know how he really related um to folks in the paddock and i could be way off with that but that's just kind of the that's the feeling i got reading through some of the interviews and and some of the nuances uh surrounding him in the paddock and the way that his team kind of portrayed that um uh, in those interviews yeah, absolutely. I, I think, you know, he was talking about passing Spencer on the grass to win. Yeah. The, <laughs> I read that. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, you do that now and they're going to throw you out of racing. You know what I mean? Like, they don't care. Like, it. the more we read and the more we highlight these guys, the more I realize how different the racing world was. And not just that. I mean, you you think about all those different the the different stuff they did. You know, Lawson won the Daytona two hundred in eighty six. Came out of retirement, won it again in ninety three. Yeah, that to me that was that was yeah. impressive. He he won the Suzuka eight hour. Yeah, and I have to call out our friend Dan, who said, I believe Polo Spargaro won. Uh, the the Suzuka eight hour when he was with Tech Three Yamaha. I said, "Is Tech Three a factory team? And would you consider Pole a superstar?" Because I said, "Factory team superstars." And he said, "Touche." <laughs> <laughs> you did say factory superstar, but you know, I I just I just it's so crazy to me how many different like races there were and championships there were and like you would just go and race this different race well we know like you know we know a lot of these races still exist it's just that we had talked about it i think once before with the fact that you know these guys are so um, i don't want to say pigeonholed but they're so dedicated to that singular championship and we're not sure 
they're sure it's got to be contract related, you know, that they can't go and race. And I think right. there had actually well, been some some push back from uh, Dovey uh, with his contract with Ducati a few years ago. You know, he wanted to go race motocross, and Ducati was kind of you know leery to let him do that. Didn't want him to do that because of the risk and of injury. So, and it's He's protecting a big investment. An, yeah, yeah, it's protecting an investment. But uh, but th- these guys back in the seventies and eighties, they just wanted to go ride. Uh, they just. Uh, yeah, you no, know, I did. just got that down home feeling uh, that they just wanted to go out and ride motorcycles and have fun doing it. Yeah, well, you know what? The other thing he won the Emila two hundred. Have you ever even heard of the Emila two hundred? I mean, I mean, I'm familiar. I'm very familiar with Emila track. Um, I am too, but I'd know, never heard of the Emila two hundred. Evidently, no, it was either. a preseason race back then, kind of like the Daytona two hundred. Evidently, Eddie Lawson was like, you know. I like these 200-mile races. Yeah, because who do doesn't it. love to warm up with a massive endurance race on a bike? That's right. Exactly. That's what we like to do. So, I mean, he, again, the world was different. And these guys rode all over the place. There was another one called the ABC Superbikers event in 83 and 85 that he won because you combined dirt and street riding. They had a track that was both dirt and street yeah, that one kind of got me when I read that too. To, to it's just like, so impressive that, that these guys are just they don't they don't care. They just want to be on a motorcycle and they're going to figure out a way to make it go fast. Yeah, yeah. I ah the golden age, man. Yeah, there, there was there was so much going on. We we missed it. I missed it. I'm you're almost myself. that old, but just a little bit. <sighs> yeah, well, if I sleep in trailers randomly, so. I'm glad it was my trailer. <laughs> that's a plus. That that's certainly a plus. Hey, listen, when you wake up and you don't know what that noise is and it's the generator and you don't know where you are, it's, you wake up it's quicker, a little don't unsettling. You? I'm like I was like, oh my gosh, have I been kidnapped or I don't know. Um who would do that? Nobody is the answer. Um but you know, I, I think it bears mentioning that we 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 inducted Lawson into the motorcycle hall of fame in ninety nine. He's in the FIM MotoGP Hall of Fame in 2005. And in 2002, the Motorsports Hall of Fame of America also inducted him. So he's in three different Hall of Fames. Um, and deservedly so. He's yes, an AMA champion. Absolutely. He's uh, the Daytona 200 champion. He's a, world, you know, he's a world champion with 500cc. The guy earned all of that. You know, and I've, we did find it interesting that you know we were talking about how he just loved it. And he still rides uh, at 63 years old. Mm-hmm. He still gets out there and rides. He said yep. he doesn't go fast, but he just <laughs> loves to be on the bike. He can't. He said he, he has nothing he likes better than throwing his 250 dirt bike in the in the back and going and riding on some trails with his good buddy Kenny Roberts. Which is what if could you, you imagine? On a trail? The, could you <laughs> yeah. imagine that day? You know, going out and, and just riding a trail with those guys. How Every many guys have gone and, past them and not even known who they were? Absolutely. And and if you could go out and ride with them, whenever you'd stop and and you know take a breather for a few minutes, the stories that you could hear from those guys, and and then just to even try to hold on to them in a trail, I, I guarantee. I don't care how old they are, I would never be able to keep up. It's. Uh, I, I mean, wow. I just. Let's get a hold of them. Let's see if they want to go ride trails. You if they want to ride? come over, they yeah. Want to let's ride go. Henry with yeah. Let's, let's see if it. they'll come over and ride Henry. Five bucks. I'll cover it, Kenny. You don't have to worry about that. Five dollars all day. I yeah. got you. 
We got you. We got you covered. Kenny and Eddie, come Absolutely. ride with us. Absolutely. Kenny and Eddie, come ride. You know, it's an open invitation to any of these legends if they want to get some of Captain <laughs> Novice. I don't care if it's at CMP or Ennery or, uh, you know, Carolina Adventure World. Whatever. <laughs> if you want a shot at the title, come on. Um, I, I think you could learn more in 10 minutes from one of them than you could writing for five years. You know what I mean? Like yeah. just their insights would be stuff that you'd never thought about. And I, it's really crazy to think about that stuff, but it's, it's the way it is, you know? And, and, uh, I, I've always, always, always held those guys in a really high esteem. And, um, you know, it, it, it would just be a dream come true to get to share, share a track with them, dirt or street. Oh, 100%. But yeah. Let's, you know, just like everybody else, you know, Lawson wasn't ready to give up the racing. He did a little car racing and he still does a little bit of cart racing too. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah. So imagine Not nearly you're as out competitive there, as a motorcycle, no, but no, hey, no, you no. know, still having fun. But imagine you're out at a cart race with your kid or just you and the dude pulled up in the van beside you is Eddie flipping Lawson. <laughs> it's the same thing. I'd be like, are you kidding? I'm going home. You know what? This is not cool. I, actually, no, I wouldn't. I'd stay there. But I, I I, I just think that it's it's funny to me that these guys, all of them, they, they love the racing and the speed of it so much that they just find other ways to keep going. And I think it's really cool that Eddie Lawson is still riding today at 63 on the on the dirt bike. You know, I yeah, think, yeah, I it's think encouraging. that's really cool. It, it definitely is encouraging. Yeah. Gives you a goal to work you, towards. You that's know? right. We have hope. We have hope. But, you know, I, I, I really, when I was reading about Eddie Lawson, it, it's a, it, I think it's a crime that people don't know his name as well. Yeah, no, I now, completely agree with that. I, you know, the things that he was accomplishing and the things that he did, I mean, he's won four world, world titles. That puts you in rare company. Yeah, we really the, rare. Not to take anything away from Wayne Rainey, but you know, you hear Wayne, the name Wayne Rainey, you hear Kevin Schwantz, and, and even you know Kenny Roberts, Kenny Roberts Jr. It, it's you hear those names and you immediately know. It. Sometimes it, it takes you, it makes you pause to think of who Eddie Lawson. You know, you, it's it's just not a name that gets spoken quite as much as it really should. Um, it, right. it definitely needs more more of a of a sound behind it, but. But to me, just like I said, reading the interview that he had given to Moto America, <clears throat> it just tells me that he maybe he wasn't all about the fame, you know, and he wasn't about the limelight. And not to say that any of these other guys really were, but I think that he was just that wanted to go out. It'd be above all else, he just wanted to ride a motorcycle, and that's what really kind of stood out to me, and, and what I took away from those that interview right. was just his. Yeah. his his feeling and his expression of riding the bike. Yeah. I, I did. I did like that. He does watch the Moto America races and he feels like Wayne Rainey's doing a good job because he, he said he, admittedly yeah. it was getting bad. Yeah. And yep. Wayne Rainey really came back and I'm glad he's there. He's doing some good things and, and I, I'm glad to see his support. I would like to see it more public or maybe he and Wayne don't get along. I don't know, but they <laughs> we need, we need these American champions. We need them. Yeah, and people yep. need to learn because I think that inspires the younger people to say, "Well, that guy won four world titles. I can do that." You know, uh, that guy won three. I can do that. But I, I think 
one of the other things I took away, I think I read the same article as you would be talking about when they were riding those super bikes back in the early 80s and they were cutting up the chassis. So yeah, originally really, they started, yeah. they started that because if you look at the chassis of that R1 Moto America Superbike, it is not the same chassis that our friends that have R1s are riding. It's right, not. Right. It's not the same swing arm. I mean, we've seen it. I've seen it up close with, uh, you know, uh, Matt Skoltz. Right. Yep. That does not look like the same bike. It, it, when you start to look at it, you're like, wait a minute, why is that swing arm that way? You know what I mean? And, <laughs> why and come, why, why it come do... upside down? It doesn't right. make sense. Yeah. Why is the shock at a different angle? You know what I mean? Like why all those things? So these guys were the ones that started it. And it's so important to remember that because they, they have helped us get to where we are. They've helped MotoGP riders do what they do for training now because of the way they rode. And yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, that, that, and you know, that, it, the way that they, the American they, yeah. dominance carried through the 80s and into the early 90s, um, I think, uh, was it uh, from 84 on or possibly 83 on, 1987 when Wayne Gardner won the championship was the disruption of Americans in that that um, that run, correct? Yeah. Because uh, it went because from you know, Freddie Spencer, Spencer won in 85. Lawson, it, yep. and then Wayne Rainey kind of picked up the torch after that and took off, yep. um, you know, with, with Wayne Gardner just kind of throwing that little hiccup in the middle. But, but no, exactly what you're saying these guys went out. They were amazing on dirt tracks. It's where they all started to cut their teeth when they were young kids, um, got their elbows nice and skin up, and then went over and started racing on the road. And now the Europeans are that. I mean, you hear the VR46 Ranch. You know, we hear Mark Marquez's uh, motocross training, and that's how he got hurt. You know, I mean, Danilo yep. Petrucci riding the Dakar. You know, on dirt. So uh, it it really showed and it paved the way to to like you're saying where these guys are getting started for today's generation. Yeah. 100%. 100%. But you did make a comment this week that I want to I did. Address. I knew you were going to bring it up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that. Now, hold on a second. That... Hold on. I'll make the comment because you. I don't want you to take it out of the context. Oh, oh okay. Is oh, that, is oh, that fair? Oh, no, I mean, if that's what you think I do, please. Well, put your dukes up, Bo. Only on we're about days to fight and about why. This. Oh, this so, guy's got jokes. So let me preface my nope. comment with nope. why I came to that comment. Oh. Uh, as you know, and this is a small, quick sidebar, because, you know, hate I, the sidebar. I hate the sidebar. Not the sidebar. Not the sidebar. Why? Don't start a soliloquy. If this is so, a soliloquy, I'm stop out. Stop talking. So, we got, you know, you know, we remodeled the living room. Well, we had set the TV up in such a way that we weren't used to, and I had to make sure it was still going to work. So, what I did was I streamed the 2021 um, America's GP. Um, to make sure, you know, all the angles of TV look good because that's honestly the most important thing that gets broadcast in this house. So I have to make okay. sure that, that that works, right? Sound logic. Well, fast forward to the end of the race, and I watched Marquez ride around. He had won. Not super happy about that, but he won. He had the Nikki Hayden flag, you know, Thank really you. touching moment. Um, I was tired, yep. Rode around the track with it. And then, you know, he pulled off to the side of the track. Some uh, a young lady came up, and she had his flag, the Marquez flag. And, and she looked desperate to try to get him to take that flag. And it, it's like he, did, he didn't want to have anything to do with it. He was taking that Nikki flag all the way around. And then I started thinking about, okay, Joanne Mir had the Kevin Schwantz-esque font on his, uh, on his bike. In the, th in the number 36, the decal. Very recognizable, yep. Um, and also, I think that it was either he or 
um, Alex Renz had actually I take it back. No, um, Joe and Mir had an American flag themed uh, helmet, I think, on, and then possibly uh, Alex Renz did have a, a a new helmet for that race, but I can't remember what the uh, the actual motif of it was, what it looked like. Um, but it wasn't normal. It was a, it was Both, a special. No, no, movie, Alex you know? Renz was American football. Okay, okay, that's right. I'm sorry. Okay, correct. All right, a real fan would have known that. I'm just saying. Well, I don't. It, well, football's not football anymore. But this is a motorcycle broadcast, so let's talk bikes. <laughs> but anyway, the thought came to me in in what we have been talking about in recent weeks about American tradition with motorcycle racing, where it came from in the in the eighties, um, and what it is now. And I made the comment to you that I think that the current generation of MotoGP riders value American racing more than Americans. I think that was the comment, correct? No. What you said, they value what Americans meant to MotoGP more than Americans. Okay, that's even better then. Argue. So first of all, if you'd have been on the couch with me, I'd have punched you in the mouth. I don't. I don't think you can really argue that though, because oh, you can't. Okay, I, well, I don't think so because, and, and I don't mean that as a slight. Well, you to, can't argue it when there's no Americans in the GP paddock. But that's the like, central thesis, you know, is the fact that the Europeans, where they are, and the fact that they come over and they're recognizing just what American had the American uh, racer did for the sport, uh, you know, in that time, in that era, in the 500 cc era. And to to honor that and to really to to put that on display, to me it shows a tremendous amount of respect. But mm-hmm. I, I feel that if we had the same passion and the same drive for our own riders in America, uh, in our own sure. respect to that, there would be more of a carrying of the torch. So, um, and, and I don't I, mean that as a slight to anyone who who races a motorcycle in America. I don't mean that at all. What I really what that really is aimed towards is the culture in America and how it doesn't value motorsport quite nearly as much um as you as europeans do that's what it's directed at okay am i allowed to talk now or do you just want to take we're running out of time it's been great folks (laughs) we'll go ahead and hope you guys have a good weekend whatever jason says about keeping the shiny side up the rubber side down (laughs) so i thought a lot about what you said and apparently not enough because you still want to argue no, no, but I no. I'm, I'm, can can I'm allowed to talk? Yeah, I mean, yeah. This, okay, okay. You may have the no, floor. I, thank you. I would have hit you in the mouth, but I would have apologized for it later because I. <laughs> I, I first of all, you shouldn't hit anybody. Secondly, um, I got what you were saying, and it and I started to think about it. I thought about it for a long time because I was like, you know, there's some truth to that. Because it, and and me talking about people not knowing who Eddie Lawson was, that that goes right into it, right? Like it does. And I feel like when you say that the the Europeans value it more, it's not that they value it more. It's that they recognize that what they're doing now was because of what the Americans were doing back in our golden age. And the reason that the skills that we brought and the reason we had those skills, I say we, I'm talking about Americans. The Americans brought those skills was because of the kind of road racing or dirt track racing or 
riding they did previously. Yeah. Whereas the Europeans started out on mini bikes on tarmac, we were on the dirt tracks. So the bike was sliding all over the place and we were very happy to let that happen. And so our, our motorcyclists that were going over there, our racers were treating that 500 CC machine like it was a dirt track bike in some ways. And they were fine with that. And it made them fast and it made them hard to catch and it made them hard to pass. And the Europeans picked up on it to your point. They did because now they are very happy to slide it. Um, if you ever have a chance, go listen to Casey Stoner's explanation of what he does at Stoner Curve at, uh, Phillips, uh, at, uh, wait a minute, Phillip Island in Australia. It is absolutely insane. I couldn't do that if you slowed it down by a hundred (laughs) times, but the, what he does to get the bike to turn quicker is just incredible. And he, he had never told anyone how he did it before. Um, and everybody else in that GP paddock had an idea, right? Like, they all know. They yeah, all have a way. Yeah. They all got through it fast. But he was always, by far, at Phillip Island, no one could touch Casey Stoner for in large part. Um, so, listening to that. But, but he was a dirt track. And then it got me to thinking about what dirt track racing is now in the U.S. It is nothing like the dirt track racing back then. The people that are there now are not looking to really go to road racing and go to the world circuit. Right. They're people like Eddie Lawson, I think. They're people that just like to go out and ride a motorcycle. You know, like And they um, just do it. JD Beach, flat tracker, amazing rider. And I I hate the fact that JD Beach has not been able to go further in road racing um because i think yep. jd beach just i think he has that pedigree in him yep. you know to be successful and to and he has that ability to learn and adapt and to just to just absorb every amount of knowledge that he can and then translate that back into talent on the motorcycle yeah um and and just as such a good guy as well another one of those kentucky guys you know and, yeah um yeah there was a couple of things working against jd beach it's unfortunate because yeah. on a motorcycle he is pretty special right um but that that's that was what I came to. So I don't disagree with your point. I disagreed Completely. with it. I, the word. I, yeah, I disagreed it, with it immediately and punched you in the mouth and told you to take it back because well, America. You're nationalist, but yeah. right. But then I thought, you know, he's not wrong. And and, whoa, it, and whoa, that whoa. Experience... hold on. <laughs> Podcast land. This is this is yeah. This is all going to be going up tomorrow. So. Go ahead. Let's yeah. repeat that. You're 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 not wrong, and and you're not wrong because, like I said, I started thinking about to my experience with the flat track, which, by the way, was entertaining for all the wrong reasons. Um, the racing itself was really interesting and really foreign because I couldn't. I couldn't grasp without doing it yeah. how they were riding those bikes like that with basically no brakes. Um, I can see what they're doing. I understand it. Like I've read how they do it, but to physically do it doesn't make any story. sense to me. Right. Absolutely. And I saw a guy's leg get almost ripped off and it was in a bad angle and it was bad. But the, the, the thing is, is I think that the, the flat track, sport now it's still out there they're still doing it there's still an ama flat track championship yep 
but you don't hear about it. And the reason you don't hear about it is because of who follows it and who goes to those races, I think. Well, it also, That's, you know, so with the, with the visibility comes uh, sponsorships, you know, and, and yeah. Unfortunately, I mean, Harley Davidson's still you know, out there running it. Well, it, Indian it is, as well. But, yeah, Indian, yeah, and, but and, we and, don't and, ever know about it. Right, right. But so, I think that goes back to the central conver- conversation around um, just large companies just aren't interested really yeah. in dumping money into um, into motorsports anymore, and right. it's it really is unfortunate because there is tons of money that is going into car racing. Um, oh. But you know, if you look at car racing as far as IMSA goes, and if you looked at the day, the uh, Daytona Twenty Four, um, the Twenty Four Hours of Daytona, excuse me, um, Ange and I watched a lot of that, and I mean a lot. We we let it stream all the way through the day and and most of the night. Um, and there was some exciting. There was some exciting racing, um, but the stands were completely empty, and there was yeah. nobody there. But that's but the crazy still, part to me. Un, I mean, there's w- unreal amounts of money that are that are dumped into it and into the World Endurance Championship, and and, and why can't we get the same into I, I motorcycle race, racing? You know, and I think so, that Wayne Rainey's doing a fantastic job of steering it in that direction and getting more visibility. You had mentioned Medallia. He's doing everything um, he can do. Yes, absolutely. I, I, yeah. I, I did a lot of thinking about that as well. I mean, you and I talked about it after the Wayne Rainey thing, like how much he's done for and he really has done a pretty phenomenal job it's just a, it's an uphill battle he's pushing a big boulder uphill yeah and, and he's doing he's well doing it. yeah absolutely he's doing he's it, doing, he's well. doing it. Um, but who's going to pick up that torch is the concern, yeah, uh, you know, because, that is the concern and not to say, you know, Wayne Rainey's not going to, is going to stop tomorrow, but that there has to be an infrastructure in place to be able to continue pushing yeah. that boulder uphill. So uh, there well, has to be another right. ambassador in America that's, that's willing to do that. Well, here's the thing. And I said this a long time ago. If you, I'm a numbers guy. That's my whole life is based around numbers. And I know for a fact that if Spain is a country of uh, 46 million people, and they have how many is it? Nine riders, ten riders in the MotoGP Championship, and um, and America, the U.S. has a population of 336 million people. There are at least 10 to 15 people in this country by pure average alone that have more talent than those guys out there. But to your point, we'll never see them on a motorcycle in MotoGP. Why? Because there's no way for them to get into the sport. There's not enough interest. There, you know, We have yeah. too many distractions, and it's not a focal point. Motorcycle racing is not a focal point. Even as big as Supercross is, and I've been to a couple of Supercross races, and it is cool, man. It's cool. And the crowds are pretty big usually. But Yeah. You're you're not gonna get the same press and coverage that you're going to get for our main three sports, which is football, basketball, and baseball. And you're not gonna make as much money. And so if you're gonna be in a, in a if you're a really good athlete, you know, maybe motorcycle's not for you, but if you had the choice, like you're the top motorcycle racer in the US or you're the number one pick in the NFL draft, which one are you going to do? Right, right. You know what I mean? You're going to the NFL. So it's just just a matter of uh, interest, and and, and it kills me because I know, I know that there are people in this country that could go out there if they had been riding since they were eight or six 
could if they'd had a chance and gotten the opportunities to keep racing through someone seeing them and picking up the bill a little bit because their parents maybe couldn't afford it, or maybe they just wanted to and their parents could afford it, we could have some Americans in the MotoGP. And I'm hoping that Wayne Rainey's job with Moto America and the job he's doing will bring some of that back. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. 100%. I mean, that's the goal of Moto America, I think. So, yeah. But, you know, I think we're over time a little bit. Um, but uh, maybe we better cut my comment about the <laughs> the dirt track. I'm telling you, man, it was crazy. It was no holds barred. I mean, anything went. But I had to laugh a lot. But, you know, I, I, I we are over time. In closing, just want to say, you know, Eddie Lawson is an American legend. There is no doubt. And he deserves every bit of credit and praise that people give him. Uh, there's no doubt. He raced against some phenomenal racers and put up phenomenal results. Just hands down. It just doesn't get any better than that. But um, I guess that's another episode for us. So if you're out there and you're going riding this weekend, riding on the street, please keep that shiny side up, that rubber side down. And I'm Jason saying good night with my man Bo. You guys take care. Have a good one, guys.